Regions believes that being a bank means serving the community. Regions is shining the light on local food banks as they feed our neighbors in need. See how you can help at regions.com slash food bank. The Regions branches are open by drive through or lobby appointment only. Bank safely and securely from almost anywhere with Regions Online banking or mobile banking. Data rates may apply. Regions Bank. Member FDIC. The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Tire Kingdom. Let Tire Kingdom get you there safely and affordably. Midas. Trust the Midas Touch. Outback Steakhouse. No rules, just right. And by Regions Bank. Making life better every day. This is Duly Noted. Everything Florida Gators with your host, Pat Dooley. Okay, welcome into the latest Duly Noted podcast. I do appreciate everybody for clicking on. Numbers have been excellent, and we appreciate that. Uh, obviously, with no sports going on, although there was some sports, and we'll get to that uh, over the weekend. Or, well, really, on just on Sunday, and there'll be a little more on the, this next Sunday. Uh, but not much. Uh, however, there does seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I will say this. This whole pandemic has kind of brought out the best and the worst in this country. And every day it's like you go on Twitter or you go on any other kind of social media. And the stories, some of the stories you see are so heartwarming and they make you want to cry. And then you see some that are so mean and evil that you make you want to cry. But I'm not going to get into politics here. Um, It's just... uh, I think it's a good indication of where we are as a country. I think people, there are certainly people, and we're we're lucky that we're in a town, uh, A, that told many of its residents to leave town. And so it, it, be, it has become easier for us to control this thing. Um, obviously, all the students had to leave. Not all the students. Obviously, my daughter's a student. She's at my house every day. She comes over and eats and does stuff and swims and although our our pool was open saturday what a highlight that was for me believe me uh that's it's been as hard as anything not having the pool to go to on our and where we live but but any rate you leave you have all these people leave town and then uh in addition to that i think we've done a really good job in this town i think people in gainesville florida i'm very proud of them the way they have not all of them are happy about it and that's fine. I understand. You can grouse about it all you want, but we're getting back as a result. So uh, we got a lot to talk about, believe it or not, even with no, you know, is not much sports going on. And uh, Nat Moore is going to join us a little bit later. I, I love Nat Moore to death, man. He is such a great guy. Uh, all right. So the light at the end of the tunnel. One thing that happened this week, state system came out and said, look, we are planning to open the campuses in um for fall campus for fall um for the students i'm sorry trying to get the words out in in the fall for the students and look we all know and look i i will say this i don't think there's any way we're gonna have a the student athletes back if we don't have uh the students back you know the student non-athletes back but i'm not just talking about football i'm talking about uh, tennis and soccer and volleyball and golf and everything. 
Uh, so you've got to get the students back and you've got to get them on campus in some way, shape, or form, or you cannot say, oh, it's not good for the, for the students, but it's fine for the guys who are making us money. You, that, that is not going to happen. So just getting them back is really important, and it is everywhere um, at, in all the places. And you're, I don't, you're not going to have games without fans either. I just don't see that scenario happening. Some places you will, some pro sports you definitely will. I don't think there's any doubt. We saw what it was like with golf and NASCAR this week, this weekend. It was different, but we can get used to it. And that, that goes back to something I've been saying all along. Everybody's got to understand Nothing is going to be perfect. We're not going to have a perfect situation where, hey, football's back, there's 90,000 people, blah, blah, blah. It's not going to happen. We just got to have to deal with what we get. And we want to see sports come back because we want something to watch. But also, And look, yours truly wants something to cover. Believe me, nobody's rooting harder for sports to come back than I am, but I'm also very – I tend to be pessimistic about these things in terms of uh, being worried at at my age especially. Um, You know, it's certainly an issue. But that said, um, you know, I want football to be back, but, I mean, the biggest reason is if you don't – if football doesn't come back, it's not just – that schools and, and university athletic associations all around the country are going to have major issues financially. They're going to cut sports. And we're already seeing this at, at, at you know several levels where sports are being cut. And think about what that means. People are being unemployed. and they're be, I know that the unemployment rate around the country is unbelievably bad because of what's, what we're dealing with. But people are losing jobs, but also people are losing scholarships. And I think this is really an important factor. If you don't have football, you don't have a lot of things. And you don't have that sense of being back to normal. you got to be careful how we do it. And, in fact, one thing that I've been thinking about uh, a lot today, because there was a good piece uh, Ross Dellinger did. In fact, he's uh, he's a really a guy I respect a lot. Um about what schools around the country are doing or planning to do when they bring the students back. Now, what we have to understand is Wednesday, there is a, uh, the NCAA council will make a decision on whether to open campuses back for the student athletes. And you could see them back as soon as June 1st. I know that Tom Herman at Texas said that that was ridiculous for anybody to think that that could happen, but it could happen. I'm not sure it's, it's the best idea. Um, I do think there are ways to make it a good idea, and that is to do it in pieces. I think you need to ration it out. Maybe you bring back only the seniors the first week and then the juniors, and you allow them to get the weight training in they need, and you set up all the precautions necessary. Um, and you, you know, you have obvious ways to sanitize. And I'm not the guy who's going to sit here and go, eh, 21-year-old kids, they, they aren't going to die from it anyway. No, bull. First of all, it, it's possible that they die because some have died, but you don't want people getting sick anyway. You don't want them being infected with anything. 
You know, th- it goes back to the the whole flu, you know, uh, epidemic that you you could be dealing with, and you know, in the in the winter. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But here's the the thing. I just think you don't just say, "Hey, all hundred guys," because there's usually a hundred guys on a football team, a lot of walk-ons. Come on back, let's go, let's work, let's let's do this, let's do that. We're going to do this. We're, you know, you just. I think you slowly do it. Now, they're going to do that, and then on Friday, the SEC is going to vote on it, whether to bring them back. And the SEC, in theory, could say, well, even though the NCAA said yes, we're saying no. We don't think it's time yet. The NCAA has been up front and center in, we're playing football. Um, and I do believe that they would be smart to allow a – early July mini camp for all football teams and really for all soccer and all volleyball. If you, if you're bringing the athletes back to campus, you feel like it's, it's okay for them to sweat and compete. I mean, in football, you wouldn't put pads on them, but just have them run routes and stuff like that and, and work on their timing and allow it. So now if, if you want to make an argument that you don't need to have, that many people out there, indoor facility, which has got air condition. Maybe you don't want to be in the indoor facility because of the um, potential for something to get in the system. Uh, there's a million ways you can and cannot do it, and none of, nobody's got all the right answers. I realize that. But I think a mini camp would be really good for these kids. You're about ready to start paying them. I don't think they'll have a problem. I, I, look, I don't think most young men, um, and I don't think most volleyball players and most soccer players and anybody would say, oh, no, nah, I don't, don't really feel like – I feel like I'm being used if you work me out. I don't think anybody would feel that way. I think they'd say, oh, God, thank God my, I'm back playing sports again. All right, so I'm going to get to a bunch more on this and uh, a lot of other things. I got a lot to say today. And unfortunately, you clicked on, so you have to listen to them. But you know what we have to do right now, and that's take a break. We'll be back with more of the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. Tire Kingdom is open to serve your auto repair needs at all 190-plus locations throughout the state of Florida. Tire Kingdom is taking additional safety precautions and offers curbside and stay-in-car services. Tire Kingdom is currently offering oil change specials and essential business appreciation offers on tires and service. Visit TireKingdom.com for details. That's TireKingdom.com. Hey, Gator fans, in all kinds of weather, we all stick together, and we need that now more than ever. Doors are open at your local Gainesville Midas on Archer Road and at other Midas locations throughout the country. At Midas, our doors have been open since 1956, and that's not going to change now. As an essential business, we remain committed to keeping the health and safety of you and your vehicle a priority. Come on by or go to Midas.com to find your local store hours. The column I wrote for Sunday, and, I, and I, I've owned up to my, making one little mistake in there, and it was like, 
The first person who alerted me to it was Lee McGriff, who played in the game. The sad thing was I was at the game, the Cal game, and said this would be the first time Florida played Cal. A throwaway line and a, and a column that yeah, I really put a lot of work into, and it was a mistake. And that's the problem. And I, I should – I almost put this out there. Young journalists everywhere should use this as an example of, look, if you write and you really work hard on something and you make it a re- what you think is a really good piece and you make a flat fact there, you're getting a 50. That's what happens in journalism school. You get a 50%. That was the first – and my wife's a teacher at UF, um, an adjunct. I, I Gene Chance used to give me 50s all the time because I'd make fact errors. I'd spell a guy's name wrong. Don't make fact errors. And all anybody – a lot of people are going to remember is that I made a fact error. Okay, I've owned up to it. It was a mistake. I'm getting old. I guess I'm getting too old. But the point of the whole column was, are the fans going to come back ever? And I wonder if they will. I think fans will – obviously, we're not going to have – and I, I talk about not having a perfect season. We're not going to have full stadiums this fall and probably not next fall and maybe not the fall after that. And I don't know that we'll ever get to that point where stadiums are full. I may be wrong on this. You know, Scott Strickland said he thinks I am wrong on that. He thinks he believes in the human spirit. He believes that we'll eventually get back to normal. Uh, But I've also heard from people who said, especially people who are a little older, who said, there's no way I'm going to a stadium again. I'm I'm done with that. Now, I might, you know, some of them may say, I'll go to baseball. And if I can sit in the outfield bleachers, not near anybody, but we're all right now imagining a world with COVID and with all the issues we're dealing with. We don't know for sure, though, if we're ever going to be in a world without it. Now, we may have a vaccine and it may be you get, you get COVID and you're, you're sick and you go get this uh, uh, a cure or a shot or whatever. It may be that you're vaccinated against it like you are the flu. I don't know. Well, I mean, it's it's an unsure world, and that was my point: was that we just don't know what it's going to look like. We know that when we when it here's the thing: we know that when sports comes back in full force, it's going to look like nothing we've ever seen in our lives, nothing at all. I mean, we've already been through something that we can't believe happened. You know, when 1918 there was a flu epidemic, the Spanish flu they called it. And uh, I think over a half a million people died in the United States. Uh, Florida played one game that, that year. It was against uh, Camp, what is now Camp Blanding, I think, or maybe it was Camp, uh, NAS. Anyway, they played against that team, lost 14-2. to two. Apparently got a safety. <laughs> but So this is 1918, right? But there were teams that played – like I think it was Oklahoma and Texas played eight, seven, eight games that year, so they got them in. So there is a precedent that we have seen something somewhat like it, but we've never seen entire seasons get canceled. We've never seen anything like baseball and softball. Um, you know, obviously the NCAA term. We've never seen anything like this. But we're not when we get to the fall. We're going to see, again, something like we've never seen. We may see games with 10,000 people in. We may see games with, uh, you know, face masks that are different. We may see games with, um, you know, 
We may see golf tournaments that we, we we never see golf tournaments with fans, with a bunch of fans. We may see a golf tournament where it's golf applause all the time. So we just we just got to wait. Whatever we see, we see and just take it all in, man. Just say, hey, at least we're getting something. We all know how important sports is. It's important for a reason. It's a it's a our leisure activity, and it's important for the economy. Nobody wants to take a chance on doing something that'll make this thing get worse or spike it. And, I mean, I know that there are some people that think, well, I don't know what you're doing may do it. So we'll see what we, we look like down the road. Not this year, not next year, in my opinion. But down the road, you know, in the year what 2025 remember that song by zager and evans in the year 25 25 but 2025 by then we may be back to where hey the place is packed it's loud for now there really is not going to be any such thing as home field advantage in fact it's almost more of an advantage to go on the road let's say Kentucky comes in here, second game of the season, and at that point they've only allowed – they've decided that there's going to be an allotment of 20,000 fans. They're going to get to go. 500 of them are allowed to be Kentucky fans, which is about all the tickets they sold last time they were here. Uh, and I don't know that they would send 500 people. you got to travel to to play to, to go watch a game if you're a Kentucky fan coming to see Florida. Now, you, basketball they would anyway, but football they may not. Just say there's 20,000 fans. They're not going to make that much noise, A. And B, I think you're going to see more and more schools say home teams are not staying in hotels anymore. It's just a waste of money. And so actually staying in a hotel is maybe a slight advantage for Kentucky? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I mean, look, these are all conjecture. These are all things that I'm, you know, we're all guessing. It's just like I saw a story yesterday it was really interesting about how there are twice as many commits in football right now as there were a year ago. And the reason is, look, I want to go ahead and get my commitment in. I'm not going to drag this out. I don't want to deal. I can't go visit the campus now. I want to go ahead and make sure I get the scholarship to a power five school or a, or a school that I want to go to versus now what you could see though. And this was the point the article was making. I I'm sorry. I don't remember who wrote it was you could see massive decommits once things get settled and, and you're, you do, you can go visit a campus and stuff like that. You know, because we're still talking about when you would sign is still down the road. So we'll see what happens there. I don't know that. I mean, look, obviously, if you're if you have twice as many commitments as you do decommits, there's a reason for it. We know the reason. So you might get. I'm sorry, I said twice as many commitments as you did a year ago. So if there's a reason for the commitments being doubled. There may be a reason why you see decommitments being doubled. So we'll see as we go forward. All right. One other thing I wanted to talk about before we get to Nat Moore, and I can't wait to talk to him, is the possibility – and Pat Forty brought this up. And, in, in, again, I'm giving SI all kinds of credit. I like I love Sports Illustrated yeah, uh, online now. They're doing a great job uh, with, with Pat and Ross and guys like that. 
But one thing he brought up is that basketball is going to have an issue too. And I started thinking about this, and I don't even know if this is a column. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a column I write later this week. Could basketball be affected more than football in the end? Because what you're seeing, obviously, is schools like Notre Dame, South Carolina, some others, Creighton, Marquette, schools like that, are going to start their um, school, or I'm sorry, their fall semester earlier. They're going to start in the middle of August. I think August 10th for Notre Dame. No summer or no fall break, and then you get everybody home by Thanksgiving before maybe another flu system comes through where you have the actual flu, the regular flu, although it's not the actual flu. There's all kinds of flu. And it, you could see a spike, and they're worried about that. Well, you, you, I read read that piece in it that, that Pat wrote, and he was talking about this. Basketball may be affected even more by it because you send all the students home before Thanksgiving – and now the student athletes are left by themselves to play all these basketball games. First of all, the crowds are not going to be the same. Uh, but that's not the issue. The issue is, is it okay to tell these student athletes, hey, we're going to keep on with basketball season, but we don't want any students around here. Because, you know, as we get to the winter, there could be even worse problems. So that's an interesting dynamic as, as it is. Basketball could actually be in more danger of its season getting screwed up than football. Now, that said, um, softball, for example, and baseball and, uh, and some of the other spring sports, school ends, that's when their season really begins, their biggest part of their season. That's when they're pl- sometimes playing the last week of um, the regular season, and then they're playing um, – you know, regionals and conference tournaments and all that. And and students over the years, not students, but student athletes over the years have told me it's their favorite time of the year because they don't have to go to school and they're not distracted by anything. All they're doing is working on their games and you can work hard and then you, you know, you go to the pool and by yourself or whatever. It's fun. They actually enjoy that time of the year. Plus you're in the middle of the greatest competition. So I don't think that it's it's a matter of basketball players being, you know, men and women, and there are other sports going on at the same time, being left behind. It's because this happens in other sports. It's not like this is the only sport it's ever happened in. But as he pointed out, you know, are people going to be that fired up about basketball if you start it up and then stop it? And then you don't get back. And there was at least been talk. And again, we've heard this story before of a January start for basketball conference only games. Now, again, this is not ideal, but you know what? Nothing is ideal. Everybody needs to get ideal out of their heads. There's never going to be anything ideal for a long time. Maybe next year there'll be ideal. It ain't going to be ideal. No, whatever happens is not going to be ideal this year. Nothing is going to be perfect. But it's really possible that you could see a basketball season like that. I don't think it's going to happen, but it could. Very well could. I think you have to look at all possibilities. And this is the way it is for all sports. For all sports. Um, 
You know, I don't care what you're playing. You don't know what your season's going to look like yet. Even, I would say, you know, college baseball, college softball, sports like that. You don't know what your season's going to look like yet. We have to wait and see what happens. So, like, like a lot of smart people have said, the virus determines when the seasons start. All right, we're going to take a break. Then we're going to bring on Nat Moore. I've still got a lot to say. I know if, if I go long, I'm sorry. Uh, but I want to get into several things, including the last dance, including conversation I had with Kevin O'Sullivan the other day, and McKeithen Stadium, my thoughts on it finally being uh, totally closed in the, the video they did. Uh, all that, the transfer portal, three things will be coming up. Some some deaths that made me very sad this week. Some one, some of them were of actual programs. So um, all that and more. And but right now we're going to take a break. Come back with Nat Moore, uh, of course, great Florida football player and uh, phenomenal Miami Dolphin. Uh, right after we take this break here on the Duly Noted Podcast at GatorSports.com. Outback Steakhouse is committed to serving communities by doing what they do best, serving you and making a great steak. That's why Outback has curbside takeaway and delivery open and available starting daily at 11 a.m. at most locations. Let Outback help make things a little easier and taste a whole lot better. Visit Outback.com for more information and to place your curbside takeaway order. And Outback will bring your order straight to your car. Or you can order delivery directly from Outback.com. You can also find Outback Steakhouse on DoorDash and Uber Eats. Regions believes that being a bank means serving the community. Regions is shining the light on local food banks as they feed our neighbors in need. See how you can help at Regions.com slash food bank. The region's branches are open by drive through or lobby appointment only. Bank safely and securely from almost anywhere with region's online banking or mobile banking. Data rates may apply. Region's Bank. Member FDIC. All right, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast. What a great pleasure it is to bring in one of the great success stories in the history of football. I, I mean that. And Nat Moore was a, at one time a junior college basketball player, went on to become one of the great wide receivers in the NFL. And I tell you what, if not for a knee injury, might have been one of the great running backs of all time, had a great uh, junior year, and then of course got hurt in his senior year. But what a great career he did have, and go on to the to uh, the NFL. And Nat, how are you today? And uh, I hope you didn't take that as too uh, too much of a compliment. Well, you know, I uh, was fortunate enough to get an opportunity there, thanks to uh, Doug Dickey. And um, you know, it's like anything; you try and make the most of every opportunity. I played with some great guys: with Willie Jackson, Leonard George, uh, Vince Kendrick, Preston Kendrick. I mean, you just name them off. Lane Fields. You know, it was the start of uh, uh, something new at the University of Florida as far as football was concerned. And um, to 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 be the the running back there at that time was really really fun. When you got here in 72, what was it like culturally? Because obviously Willie and Leonard had been the first uh, African-Americans to sign with Florida. But what was it like for you guys uh, culturally at that time? 
Well, it was a little different, you know, and and being a a kid from a place like Miami where there was so much going on, coming to Gainesville and, you know, things were, everything was centered around the campus and there really wasn't a whole lot to do. So at some point you had to figure out how to entertain yourself, how how to make it fun. And so we started having parties uh, every Friday, Saturday night in the off season at different uh, um, uh, places throughout the city, you know. So, Nat, oh, what was it like for you when, I mean, here you were a running back. I mean, did, did you have any teams in the NFL talk about drafting you as a running back? Or were you surprised when the Dolphins took you and, and said, we're going to make you a wide receiver? Yeah, there were a couple teams that I talked to. Um, believe it or not, I never even talked to the Miami Dolphins, but I'd spoken with uh, the Oakland Raiders. I'd spoken with uh, the Dallas Cowboys, and you know they all had me pretty excited about uh, the possibility of, of being drafted by them. Um, and then uh, draft day comes, and believe it or not, um, Dallas had a guy named Cyril Pender, babysitting me because you know at that point the Jacksonville franchise of the World Football League had also had drafted me and uh, they were worried about me signing with the World League prior to the draft and um, you know first round come um, I'm not taking the uh, Dallas takes Ed Tuttle Jones uh, second round come I'm not taking and Dallas takes somebody else and then the third round come, and Dallas takes somebody else again, and then uh, the Dolphins uh, call me to let me know that they were going to draft me and how would I like to become a Miami Dolphin. And, um, you know, it was kind of interesting being that uh, that was one of the only teams that didn't talk to me the whole process. You know, even on the, on the days when they came down, we worked out and ran 40s and et cetera, um, Bobby Bethard and, and that crew never spoke with me about becoming a Miami Dolphin and um, you know it was just a I was I was blessed I get a chance to come home I get a chance to go to the Super Bowl champions two-time Super Bowl champions three straight Super Bowls and uh, I'm, I'm going to play um, at home it yeah. couldn't have been any better yeah, and I mean, what did they tell you right away? We we see you as a wide receiver. Was that something that happened? Well, in well, when I sat down with Coach Shula, and he goes, uh, you know, we 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 have uh, big plans for you. We, you know, we we uh, we think you can be a great wide receiver. We like the way you caught the ball coming out of the backfield. You know, you got good hands. Uh, you you return punts. You return kickoffs, and you know, we'll give you a year to uh, learn to be a wide receiver. Uh, this will uh, lengthen your career. You won't take as much punishment. And, um, and besides, you know, the first year you re- you'll be returning punts and kickoffs. And I'm going, okay, that, that, that sounds good. To show you how naive I was at that point in time, there were no guaranteed contracts. I didn't know that I still had to make the team as a wide receiver against five phenomenal wide receivers that had just come back from the Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, things happen. You get blessed. There end up being a strike. So it gave us two months of learning the system and a chance to perform um, in front of the coaching staff prior to the guys that uh, were the the veterans coming into camp and I learned so much of those first two months that I was able to compete 
And, uh, Pat, the most amazing thing is uh, Coach Hill was true to his word. All I did was return punts and kickoffs for the first five games. And then uh, both Paul Warfield and Marlon Briscoe went down and out in San Diego, and I ended up playing, and we came back, won the football game, uh, returns a punt, uh, scored a touchdown, and from then on, I was a starter. Yeah, I guess when he was telling you you're, it would help you uh, stay healthy, he didn't know you were going to have that helicopter twirl. Was I think that was against <laughs> the Jets, right? Where you had that? <laughs> well, that, that that was in the Meadowlands, and uh, yes, it was against the Jets. And you know, the one thing that I give Coach Shula so much credit for is that you know he stayed on you. He didn't let you quit. He let you quit on yourself or your teammates. You know, he always pushed you to do better than what you thought you can do. And I remember the helicopter, not the way everybody else remembers. I remember the play before that where we ran the same identical play. And I catch the ball, and as I'm going down, I hit my elbow hit, the ball pops out, Daryl Ray picks it up and runs it back about 40 yards. And when I got to the sideline, the things that Coach Shula had to say to me wasn't very nice, <laughs> uh, even to the point where he said we'd have been better off if you didn't catch the freaking ball. At least we could have punted it away and covered the kick and had field position. So when uh, we ran that play the next series and I catch it going through the middle and I got a chance to score and I'm going to go over Ken Troy and I get hit by Kurt Springs and I'm spinning, the only thing that was going through my mind, Pat, was whatever I do, do not let this damn football go. Uh, and you didn't. That was, that uh, was no, I didn't. That was one of the great things. Uh, obviously, uh, the passing of Coach Shulo is uh, tough for all you guys. I know you're playing golf with Mark Duper later today. Uh, that unbelievable team that you guys have with Marino and and Duper and Clayton and and you and uh, that, that was so much fun to watch. I actually covered a few of those games. Uh, that's how much fun it was. But uh, when, what did Don Shula mean to you? As, as a football player and as a person? Well, he was a mentor. He, he was a mentor. Uh, he taught by example. Um, you know, he was a uh, repetitious, uh, hardworking, um, perseverance. Uh, you know, one of his famous quotes was always, anybody can play when they're healthy. Uh, it was about mental toughness, physical toughness. It was about not, not letting your teammates down. You know, it was all about the team. And it didn't matter who it was, whether it was the greatest player or the, or the weakest player, we were all a team and we were going to figure out how to work together to win, which meant that everybody had to sacrifice a little bit of themselves for the overall good of the team. And the best part about that, Pat, is that when you move into the real world, those same traits transcend and it helps you be successful life after football in your next endeavor and et cetera. So he was sort of like a mentor as well as a father figure and a, and a guy that we all looked up to, um, a guy that led through his actions. You know, we all hated running gassers, but he ran them with us. Uh, we, we, um, you know, we spent a lot of time in the community doing things, but so did he. Uh, when the United Way came in for their pitch to get the players and the organization to donate money to help out, a lot of causes in our community. He was the first one to write a check. So, you know, when you got a leader that leads through action and leads through uh, examples and then uh, walks the walk, not just talks the talk, then that's the guy you look up to. 
Yeah, one of the great people of our time. And I, I told a story about being at Falcons minicamp when the, and the Dolphins were there, and he was, he and Dan Henning were singing old Irish songs, and it was one of the most fun <laughs> nights I've ever had in my life. But uh, also, the, you know, one thing that you have to look at is he went from – a running football team playing great defense, winning Super Bowls, to Dan Marino passing the ball all over the place and getting to a Super Bowl. I mean, that just showed you what a great coach he was. Well, I think the difference is uh, most coaches have a system. Uh, coach Shula's system was to look at the talent that's on his team and adapt the philosophy. And I think sometimes um, uh, because we were so explosive in the 80s and 90s with Dan and uh, the Marx Brothers and Joe Rose, Jimmy Cephalo, I mean, you name it, we, we had a phenomenal team with a, with a great quarterback that can flat throw the football. So we got a lot of accolades, and the sad part, and we all talk about it quite often, is uh, we never won a championship. Uh, we, we played for one, uh, which was early in Dan's career, the second year, and just never got back there, which you know sort of leaves a, a bitter taste in your mouth. Then you go back and you look at the, the 70s team when they had the, the great offensive line that were coming off the ball, moving people, and you had Larry Zonka, um, uh, Mercury Morris, Jimmy Kick, um, you, you had Hall of Fame linemen. You know, they controlled the game. They, they, they decided what the other team could do. And, you know, the, the irony of it, and most people forget this because, you know, I've had a chance to play with two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Right. You know, Bob Greasy, everybody forget was not only a quarterback, but he was the field general. He called his own plays. I mean, he had to go into the game with his own game plan as to how he was going to keep everybody active and engaged and win. And we won a lot of games. I think we had, um, uh, during that tenure, we had one losing season, which was 76, where we were 6-8. and eight. And then uh, later in the year, I think in 80 or something like that, we were 8-8 eight and eight for um, a 500 season. Other than that, it was always winning seasons. And then when Dan came in, we flipped the script. We, we realized we had a great blocking uh, 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 offensive line as far as pass blocking and et cetera. And we could still run the ball, but not as well as we could throw it. And we started throwing it all over the place and taking advantage of Dan's skill set, which was, you know, he could throw each – I mean, every pass humanly possible. I mean, um, you know, the, the way we destroyed the Bears on a Monday night, uh, the, the, the shootouts we had with the Jets. I mean, you know, the, 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 it, you know it's just mind-boggling how different we were as we changed with time. The difference was we never made it back to the Super Bowl, and that's why we're still all kicking ourselves. Yeah. Because we felt we were good enough. And and definitely were. Yeah, I was. I actually covered that Super Bowl, and now I'm I'm upset though because I actually believe it or not, that I was a student at Florida and I covered the World Football League, the Jacksonville <laughs> team, and I could have watched you play, continue your career there. So I'm, I'm one year. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, it was actually they they actually lasted two years because yep. um, they changed uh, their name, but they yeah they lasted. The Express and the Sharks were their yeah, two names. There, there were two years. Uh, the interesting part was they had offered me $100,000 to sign, and I turned them down and took a lot less with the Dolphins because I, I knew I was coming home. Plus, it's the league that you know ain't going anywhere. That yeah. It's already <laughs> relevant. And um, uh, that year, 
Paul Warfield, Larry Zaka, and Jimmy Kick, which is what basically changed our team, all signed with the World Football League, and I had turned the World Football League down. So, you know, it was all for the best. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with my decision, and, uh, of course, Zonk and, and, and Paul and those guys were happy with their decision because they came back and still hadn't uh, finished off their NFL career with different teams. Yeah, the Memphis Southman. I remember that Sports Illustrated cover. Hey, before I let you go, Matt, I know you, uh, Nat, I know you need to go play golf, but um, – I wanted to ask you about this last year with Florida football. It must have looked a little like the Dolphins from the Marino years, where they're they're throwing the ball all over the place and they've got all these wide receivers. Give us your thoughts on Dan Mullen and Kyle Trask and what they were able to do in 2019. Well, I, to, to me, it's really all about leadership. You know, we we talk about the Dolphins and et cetera. We could talk about the great quarterbacks and all that stuff. But it was about Don Shula and his coaching staff and the game plan and the way they put us in position to win on on Sunday. So when I look at the Gators and I look at what Dan Mullen came in and did, he looked at what his talent level was. It wasn't about a system. It was about, hey, here's what Kyle does well. Here's what this guy does well. Here's what this receiver does well. You know, and they, they put people in position to make plays. Okay, you know when when you're out there on the field and you're thinking, it's too late. Yeah, you know, if football's a game of reaction. You go, and I the the I give him so much credit for analyzing what these guys are capable of and then turning them loose and letting them go play, and um, that's why he's won everywhere he's been. He has that innate ability to figure out what's the skill set of his athletes and then ask them to do that, nothing more. He is Nat Moore, one of the Gator greats of all time and one of my favorite guys uh, to deal with as well. We will be back with more of the Duly Noted Podcast right after we take this quick break. All right, you know, one thing that uh, I forgot, I didn't get a chance to ask Nat because we were running late because I, I have so many things I want to talk to him about. I I think the world of Nat Moore, in fact, I remember seeing him down in the Orange Bowl. And he, you know, a guy like Nat Moore is a big, big deal. He's a big deal, okay? A guy like Pat Dooley is not a, that big a deal. But I was on the floor of the Orange Bowl before the game just kind of looking at people. And Nat Moore came to me and, and wanted to talk. And how you doing? He gave me a hug and... It's back when we could hug, and it was great seeing him. He is uh, one of my favorites of all time. Let me tell you what. When he was a junior, again, came coming out of junior college as a basketball player, Florida had a coach who thought he might work out as a football player. That junior year, he was phenomenal. I mean, the moves he could make. I remember the, the screen pass he ran back, ran for a touchdown against Auburn that made like eight guys miss him. He was unbelievable. They hurt his knee early in the, his senior season, came back kind of towards the end. Wasn't quite the same guy. I remember like he had a 71-yard run against LSU in the rain, uh, got tackled on the one, and unfortunately they fumbled on the next play. He was he was out of the game because he was tired. But uh, one of the best – but he was – one thing I didn't get a chance to talk to him about, they're having a, pr- a processional for Don Shula on uh, Friday and Saturday where they're actually going to – 
you can drive if you're at if you live in Miami and you can drive around the stadium well, actually you don't live in Miami if you live in Miami you're nowhere near the stadium but but the stadium you're going to be able to drive around and and see all these videos and do all this stuff and honor uh the late Don Shula a really good guy I've told I told that story about the uh the one time that I really had a close encounter with him but um anyway glad uh, glad to have Nat Moore on the show um, all right, I want to talk about the mixed bag that is McKeithen Stadium. McKeithen Stadium has obviously been closed for quite a while now, but it's dead now. Uh, Jeff Cardozo and I did a show up there um, on, I guess it was last week, and it was just eerie. It was like the walk of the living dead. I mean, there was uh, there was stuff that was still there from the FSU game, you know, scorecards and and chips that were still there from there was all kinds of stuff there there are weeds growing out of the 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 cracks in the sidewalk you know because nobody's bothered to there's no point in killing them uh they're not going to tear it down to like july um and it'll be done with like a crane it's not going to be a, an implosion or anything like that uh but when i you know i have so many memories of that stadium and some of them are really good and some of them aren't good uh, it's a, it really is a mixed bag. I used to not really. Uh, there were days when I'd walk in that stadium and go, God, I wonder how long this game's going to be because you never knew. Logan Shores pitching two and a half hours. Hudson Randall's pitching. I'll be out of here soon. Somebody else is pitching, and it'll go extra innings, and we'll have rain delays. I mean, I, I have spent some of the most miserable times of my life in that stadium because of rain delays. In fact, the worst of all time was a couple of years ago and they're playing wake right i think i have that right in the uh regional super regional right i think i'm right on that anyway uh, it's pouring and we're sitting there oh my god i can't believe this we and i, I got angry and i was like yeah i can't believe they would schedule a game for four o'clock when they knew it was gonna rain that was espn meanwhile i get a call our golf tournament was going to be at Meadowbrook that year. I get a call from the pro out there who does a great job and a, a good friend of mine, Chris Markham, and he tells me that somebody has dumped water into Meadowbrook from a situation they had up the street and we were going to have to postpone our golf tournament. And I wasn't in a good mood that day. That was one of my worst memories there. But I also, this is kind of where I courted my wife. You know, we would go to baseball games and she loved the team and kind of got to know the guys. And, you know, that was a great memory. Uh, look, I've got, I did the 10 best memories of McKeithen Stadium way back whenever. I can't remember what when that was. And those were all tremendous memories. The, the, the badge hitting that home or the, the, uh, the Derek Nicholson walk-off that was just unbelievable moments. You know, I was one that didn't make it was um, JJ hitting a, a, a grand slam. I think it was against South Carolina, and Florida looked like they were going to lose, and they they were really kind of struggling to hit the grand slam, and the things took off from there. There, there's all kinds of memories where you're that were great, but wasn't a great press box. wasn't You know, wasn't designed to be a great press box. And you know, I was talking to um, Chip Howard, who's a great guy. And really knows what's going on over there at Florida. And, you know, he was saying, you know, the one thing that people don't realize is that most 
stadiums don't face that direction. And the reason they don't is because if they do, you've got the sun beating down on you for most of the for a day game, it's just beating down on you, not off to the side. You know, where maybe you can get some shade or you can get you're not feeling the effects of it. And the design of the stadium, again, nobody was thinking about it back in the old days when they built that stadium and it was just this uh, bleachers and the hill and everything um, was was flawed from the start. Should have been built the other direction, or even like it is now, like the one they they built now. Um, so, like the first row of the press box, you could not sit in on a day uh, like a one o'clock game. You could not sit there because if you did, and you put your arm down on the on the uh, the counter, it, you would literally get burns on them. That's how bad it was. And you couldn't see your computer screen. So it wasn't a great great design, but, you know, the memories were great. You know, the Disney Plaza was kind of shaky. I don't, I never really, you know, I talked to Chip about that too, and it had to be built that way because of the, um, you know, the BP and the bullpen underneath. Well, I would have done more of something different with that. But anyway, the point is, is moot I'm not depressed that McKeithen is closing I can't wait for this new ballpark and I think even the people who are going man I loved going to McKeithen Stadium are like but I can't wait to get to the new one Uh, I talked to Sully the other other day and he was saying how the other uh, I guess it was Sunday maybe or anyway he was couldn't sleep he was up early in the morning and he said ah He's, you know, he's he's really antsy. I can tell you, he's a guy who really wants to get to work. But he said, "I'm going to go." Over. He walked over. He went over to the stadium. He walked around the whole stadium. He said, "I was just blown away. Like he'd been there before, but it's the first time he just walked the whole thing. Blown away. Blown away." <laughs> what is that from? That's from oh, that's Seinfeld when uh, Larry David's doing George Steinbrenner. Blown away. Anyway, um, so, you know, I was also thinking this today when I was driving in. What if Florida had won that last game against FSU and they'd gone 17-0 instead of 16-1, which you would think, eh, small difference. I think people would even be more upset. Like, FSU did Florida a favor. Oh, no, what are you talking about? FSU beating Florida in the last game ever played at McKeithen's is devastating. No, 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 no. They gone seventeen and zero. You really would be upset because then you'd be going, "This is bull crap. We need to have a season. We need to start it." No, or am I? I may, I may be way off on that. I'm just, I'm just uh, spitballing here. Anyway, it's really sad what's happened with many sports being canceled, and this is part of the problem we're going to have. Um, you know, with all these different sports. Furman had 125 years of baseball history, canceled the sport. Central Michigan canceled their track. Uh, a lot of people taking pay cuts. East Carolina has now said they're going to cancel some sports. Um, hopefully some of them come back. I don't know that any of them will. I think it's gonna, it's an easy way out, too, uh, for sports that are not only non-revenue, but they cost. You know, uh, Scott Strickland told us the other day that – Florida actually breaks even with not having to spend the money they would have normally, even though they're not going to have the revenue from some from the SEC or from the uh, more more so from the 
the NCAA basketball tournament, which would have brings in revenue, goes to the SEC, and eventually comes to all the schools and would have come to Florida. So they're actually going to break even. But, I mean, you can't not have football and break even. So, anyway. All right, before I get to three things, a couple things. One, the last dance. Um, again, look, this is Michael Jordan production. It was amazing. I, I thought it was great. It was 10 episodes. It gave us something to watch. I don't know if it would have been as big a hit if we were in the middle of basketball and or if it would have been released if we were in the middle of the basketball and baseball seasons and this weekend would have been the SEC baseball tournament. I'm not saying that's going to supersede Michael Jordan, but I'm just saying there would have been stuff going on, and I'm not sure it would have been as big a deal, but it certainly was. It was interesting. There were things I didn't know. I'm still not sure about the pizza thing, though. This whole pizza deal where apparently Michael, well, they ordered this pizza at 3 o'clock in the morning or whatever it was, and Michael spit on it, according to the producer, so nobody else could have any, and then ate it and then got violently ill. That was the quote-unquote flu game. Michael Jordan insists there were five guys who came to the, or not Michael, but the other guys, his trainer, Five guys who came to the door to deliver one pizza. Uh, the guy who apparently from Pizza Hut is saying that's a load of crap. I was a Bulls fan. I delivered the pizza myself, and there was nothing wrong with it. Look, sometimes you get food poisoning. Something doesn't get cooked properly. It happens. I've had it four times in my life. It is not fun. I could not have played Game six, after the time I ate two bad hot dogs on the way to Niagara Falls, okay? I could not have played game six the night or the day after I had the buffet at Giant Stadium covering a game. Had it there. I had it at uh, Memphis at a uh, USFL game. Ate that night at the, in the press box. I don't know how many people the people got sick, but anyway, my point it's 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 nasty. It's awful. It sounds like a made-up story to me. I think there's a lot of made-up stuff there. But what's not made up is how Michael would make stuff up to hate guys and make them his enemies and motivate him. Master of motivation. I mean, I never liked Michael Jordan. I don't like him anymore now. I, I, I But I respect him maybe a little more. The thing is, now everybody's saying, well, look, after watching this, there's no doubt Michael Jordan's the best player. He's better than LeBron. Well, you shouldn't have had to watch that to either know that or feel that. That that has nothing to do with it. All he came across is as a big butthole to his teammates and a hard guy to play with. But won six championships. But I would say this to you. Is LeBron's career over? Are they done? Is he finished? He's not playing anymore? Because wait till his career is over before you compare him and LeBron. Not a LeBron fan either. Look, I could stand up here and tell you, nope, the best ever was Kareem Abdul-Dubar or Irvin Johnson or Wilt Chamberlain. I could, I'm a, I was a huge Lakers fan for a long time. I ended up not liking them after they, they got rid of Shaq. But I wouldn't be right, but I could make the argument. Well, at least wait till a guy's career is over before you say he's the best of all time. Just like with Tiger. Everybody was like, Tiger is the best of all time. 
He hasn't caught Jack yet, but when he does, we'll just we'll make it official. Then stuff happened. All right. He still could end up breaking his record. I don't think it'll happen. And Tiger in his prime was better than Jack at his best. But it's about an entire career. That's all I'm saying. Uh, before I get to three things, one thing I wanted to mention, we had so many people pass away that was very sad. Uh, Fred Willard broke my heart that he's gone. Uh, he's in one of my favorite movies of all time, Best in Show. He's in a lot of my favorite movies, Anchorman, uh, Waiting for Guffman. Uh, actually, for your consideration, which is an underrated movie, very good as well. Um, he was in all these, all those Christopher Guest movies, but I thought he, and Fernwood Tonight, man. I loved Fernwood Tonight. That was back in the days when you, when something like that would come on, you'd never see anything like it and you'd watch it because you'd never see anything like it. He was Martin Mull's, uh, Ed McMahon. Go, I, I would, I don't even know if you can find that anywhere on all the streaming services we have. Phyllis George, certainly one of the great pioneers for women's sports and, and just really good at what she did. You know, when you were young, when I was young, m- many of you young people don't even know much about her. Man, Phyllis, God, there's this beautiful woman talking about sports. That's probably the first one you ever remember. And apparently one of the really, I never met her, really nice person. Um, Pepper Rogers passed away. I talked to Coach Spurrier about that the other day. I, I didn't know Pepper a little bit. In fact, I remember being up at the Redskins, uh, and Coach Spurrier gave me the, the run of the place, and Pepper was one of the guys. He had a little office out there, and we talk, sat and talked for a long time. Great guy. And then Eddie Haskell um, died. Um, of course, he, not not Eddie Haskell, but the actor who played him, whose name I'm, I'm, I'm blanking. I think it was Ken Osmond. Is that, am I correct on that? I blanked on his name for a minute there, but I read his obit. It was, it was fascinating how after, and again, I'm getting off target here, but after, um, leave it to Beaver, you know, he had a hard time. He couldn't get out of the typecasting. He was in a couple of movies, some other TV shows was in a Munsters episode. You were in leave it to Beaver in the Munsters. You're like one of my heroes, but he actually joined the L.A. Police Department and grew a mustache so people wouldn't recognize him and he could go ahead and be a, a motorcycle cop and, and actually got shot during a, a robbery and luckily he had a bulletproof vest on, but he ended up having to go on disability and uh, unfortunately had some respiratory problems and passed away too. But it was a fascinating obit. Uh, that's that's an interesting life. But if you didn't, if you've never watched Leave it to Beaver and you don't know Eddie Haskell, he was the the best phony in the history of television or movies. I meet a lot of phonies, and there are a lot of phonies I deal with in sports, but Eddie Haskell was number one. No question about it. All right, it's time for three things. It's time for three things. Sponsored by Regions Bank. Making life better every day. All right, number one, all right, we got golf. On Sunday, I watched pretty much the whole thing. I did flip over to NASCAR for just a little bit, just because I was curious what it looked like. To me, the NASCAR looked weirder with no fans than the golf. I guess it's because I've seen a lot of golf, like NCAA tournament golf, where there's not really any fans there either. Um, and you got to give uh, 
those guys credit who are out there. What's I got now? I'm blanking on his name too. I, I'm blanking on names today, so I won't even mention it. But all the people that were out there, like um, working that tournament, and th- remember that all this money went for charity. It's not like Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson; these guys were getting a nice check for it. They did something that was really nice. Uh, some there was criticism about it, and that, look, I had some criticism about it. I think the announcers there was too many announcers. I don't think either one of the interviews they did was that interesting with celebrities. I'm just going to leave it at that. <clears throat> but the golf course was a star to me, and that was the most fun part of watching it was watching that Seminole Golf Course, poorly named course, but it uh, it it looked unbelievable, and. They never have majors there, but you know why? The members don't want one. The members, I I, I heard this, that they have a rule that you have to be off the course at 6 o'clock, off the property. They don't have dinner there. They don't sit around and drink after their their rounds. It's a golf course. That's what it is. And so that's probably why they've never had a major. They are having the Walker Cup next year, though, which is will be interesting. I guess everybody will have to get – they'll have all morning tea times. Um, and also, it didn't look like a good setup for fans. So, I, I can get that, too. But I think it's more that they don't want people there. I love that we had something to watch. I, I don't think I would have watched it if – I know I wouldn't have watched it if there were NFL games on, that, on Sunday, okay? Or uh, – even Major League Baseball games or, or um, NBA games, anything. I would have watched some other sport other than that. I would have flipped over every once in a while to see what was going on. But it was a captive audience, at least for me. I was a captive guy. I almost went to the two TVs. I almost went to both uh, NASCAR and golf, but... I'm not a big NASCAR guy and didn't really care who won the race. I need to – that's what I need to do. I need to – because NASCAR is going strong, right? And they've got a lot of plans, and they seem to have come off without a hitch. I don't I don't know. Hopefully they did. Maybe I need to pick a driver. Pick a driver and, and root for him. I used to kind of like Jeff Gordon. I don't know. I don't even really know why. I think a part of it was because all the NASCAR people used to get mad when he'd win. And that kind of it humored me. Anyway, number two, the, one of the biggest stories of the week. Team that has won 24 out of 35 national championships and four in a row fired its entire coaching staff. That would be Kentucky cheerleading. Now, it's not an NCAA sport, but it's a big deal up there. I have been up to Lexington, obviously, many times, and it is a huge deal, the cheerleading competition. But these knuckleheads, uh, they had an investigation. Turns out they've been doing hazing and nudity and all kinds of crazy. They were out of control. And, you know, hey, they were just telling themselves how great things were going and got out of control. So think about that. Four times in a row, four national championships in a row, they need a new coach. <laughs> it, 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 the, the story almost made me laugh because it is I, – I do know that at, at Kentucky, it's a huge deal. And look, I agree. It is a very physically demanding sport. Most of those male cheerleaders you see, 
or have got forearms like Popeye. Have to lift those girls up. All right, so that was number two. Number three, interesting story I just read. The NFL is tasting, testing face masks with surgical material in them, and that's what you may see. And again, I go back to the premise of pretty much of today's podcast. It ain't going to be perfect. It's not going to be ideal, and it may look weird. When you're looking, when you're watching an NFL football game, and guys have masks that they look weird—not not regular face masks—but they would, I guess, they have some kind of covering inside the face mask. Accept it. One day, maybe we'll get back to normal. One day, maybe we'll get back to talking about writing books, doing thirty for thirties on the pandemic. But right now, we're in the middle of it. We're living it. Stay safe, guys. This isn't over yet. Don't let don't let your guard down and try to get through tomorrow and the next week. And eventually we'll get to Tuesday and you'll get another duly noted podcast. I promise it won't be as long as this one. This might have been the longest in history. I had a lot to say. I was in a mood. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you enjoyed Nat more. And I hope you will come back next time. Until then, I'm Pat Dooley, the sports columnist of the Gainesville Sun, saying I am deep. I am way back, and I am out of here. The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Tire Kingdom. Let Tire Kingdom get you there safely and affordably. Midas. Trust the Midas Touch. Outback Steakhouse. No rules, just right. And by Regions Bank. Making life better every day.